Good morning, if you've joined us since the last time I said hello, it is lovely to have you with us this morning, in your own homes, of course. Now for our notices. First up is our offering. Um, normally we would pass baskets around, as you know, but instead of that we've got a handy little QR code um, that will be appearing on the screen that you can just point your phone at and give that way. A huge thank you to all of you who do give financially to the church. We wouldn't be here without you and we really are grateful. We're also aware that um, in this season of coronavirus where people may have lost their jobs, there may be some of you who are experiencing some financial hardship. If that is you, um, we would love to hear from you because we would love to um, try and support you in any way that we're able. So please do get in touch if that's you. Coming up then, over the next week or so, every Wednesday we have midweek prayer and this is from 2.30 until 3pm on Zoom and it's just half an hour in the middle of the week to put down whatever we're doing and focus on Jesus. You're all welcome to join and details are on our website and in the Facebook group. Well now, last week we had our first digital pub church and it was great fun. So we're going to do the same this week. It's bring your own nachos and drinks and it's on Zoom from 1 until 3pm on Friday. And again, you can find details and the Zoom link in our Facebook group. Now, stories. You may have heard us talk about this before, but we love to collect stories of what God is doing amongst our church family and to celebrate those with people. And we know this is a weird time of not being able to meet together and praying for each other like we usually do. But we are sure that God is still working as he always has. He's still speaking, he's still working in people's lives and he's still healing stonevineyard.com and that's it from me good morning and happy easter christ is risen hallelujah we may still be in lockdown but this morning we celebrate jesus bursting out of death being raised from a cold dark tomb to new life as the first to make that journey of resurrection that now thanks to the kindness of god He's also opened up to us. This is good news. And this is the very heart of the way we Christians look at the world. It turns out there is a God. And he is loving, kind, like a better parent than any of us have known. And when we were too far gone, when we had hurled insults and abuse at him and cut all ties, God came after us, died to remove that sin that separated us from him, and began a new life with us restored to a relationship with him that we absolutely don't deserve, but that he always wanted us to have. When Jesus died for us, when God raised Jesus to life again for us in his renewed body, and when Jesus ascended bodily into heaven, God took our sin and separation from him, and he put them to death with himself, raised us up to new life within himself, and presented us to God at one with him. No matter what our story has been up to this point, the moment that we say, yes, thank you, God, I want that to cover me too, and decide to live with Jesus and for Jesus, our relationship with God is made better than new. 
each of us can once again ask him to meet us as if we had never sinned. And we're promised that that relationship will last long after this life as we know it is over. Easter Sunday is good news for all eternity. And this morning, we could have chosen any of the four gospel accounts that tell us about the day that Jesus rose from the dead and how his followers reacted. They're great moments and I recommend them to you. Go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. Just sort of skip to the end and go back a little bit. It's there. As things worked out, when we were planning our preaching series of Sunday talks for this spring, going through the book of the Acts of the Apostles in the Bible, the very next passage for us to look at was a moment that Paul, trailblazing church planter of the early church, got up to tell the Jewish crowds in Jerusalem about what had happened to him when he met Jesus. It's in Acts chapter 22, and I'd love it if you grab a Bible and read along with us. So we decided to keep that passage for this morning for this reason. Paul met Jesus. Jesus had already died, already been raised to life, even already ascended into heaven before Paul had his encounter with Jesus. And Paul spent the first part of his life, as our passage today will tell us, persecuting the earliest followers of Jesus. He was hunting down the church and executing them when Jesus met Paul and changed his life. And so, this Easter, we don't just celebrate that Jesus was raised from the dead and walked around Judea hanging out with his friends 2,000 years ago, although we do celebrate that. We also celebrate that he is still alive today, that Jesus is still powerful today, still meeting people, still changing lives in a very similar way to the way he changed Paul's lives. Life. Let's read our passage for today, which is Acts 22, verses 1 to 22. To catch you up, the Roman authorities in Jerusalem have arrested Paul to try and stop a riot at the Jewish temple. And Paul has just got up to address the crowd, and this is what he says. Thanks, Jane. Acts 22. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, Listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up ed and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel as his student. I was carefully trained in our Jewish law and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of the elders could, can testify that this is so, for I've received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem, in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am. 
Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hands to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on his on the name of the Lord. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Shin. Paul tells the crowd the story of how meeting Jesus changed his life. What Christians often call a testimony. Like a witness in court gives a testimony, people who've experienced Jesus doing amazing things testify to what they've witnessed. Paul's experience begins in verse 1 with a word that our Bibles often translate as defense, but the Bible's original Greek language has the word apologia. This word apologia doesn't mean the same as our English word apology. Paul is definitely not telling the crowd that he's sorry that Jesus met him. Apologia literally means intelligent reasoning. So Paul is saying, let me explain and reason this out for you. For Paul, his faith in Jesus, his reasons for acting the way he does for God, are perfectly intelligent. His reasons are reasonable. If you're interested, there are loads of books written by people who've investigated evidence and concluded that Jesus really is who he says he is. And these books we call apologetics. My favourite are the ones who start out trying to prove that Jesus wasn't real and then realise that the evidence for him was just too great. They're fun. This first part of Paul's life, his story, is a life like many in that crowd would know and live themselves. Paul begins in verse 3 by telling them, I'm a Jew, brought up in this city. 
Gamaliel was my teacher. I was brought up strictly with the same law you have, the law of our fathers. I thought that this Jesus way was dangerous nonsense. I even went around capturing and killing the people who followed it. He says, I was zealous to honour God in everything I did, just like all of you today. He even makes sure to give this whole speech in Hebrew, the listener's language, even though Paul could have spoken a few. Paul is reminding the listeners, point by point, I am just like all of you. And Paul goes on to tell them what happened to him. In verse 6, he even gives them the details of when and where this encounter with Jesus happened, just outside Damascus, about noon. This isn't some floaty philosophical idea I'm talking about. This is real lived experience that happened to a person just like you, Paul says. Then comes Paul's dramatic meeting with Jesus in verse 6. A blinding light, an audible voice from heaven. Paul instantly recognises, this is God. But when the voice says, why are you persecuting me? Paul has a dramatic powerful experience of God's presence, an encounter with Jesus, enough to persuade him completely that this Jesus he'd heard about was actually God. And Paul's encounter with Jesus was a really powerful physical one. This wasn't just in his head. That bright light that he experienced was seen by those who were around him. And those with him sensed the voice, even if they couldn't grasp what it was saying, and they certainly saw the effect of this on Paul when they had to lead him blind into town, a completely changed man. This wasn't an idea about a teacher, Jesus, or a memory of a dead man who said some stuff that changed Paul's mind. This was a living encounter with a very powerful, very much alive Jesus. If Easter Sunday had never happened, if Jesus had never risen from the dead, then this encounter would have been impossible. Jesus was alive, risen from the dead, meeting people powerfully, changing their lives. Honestly, if Christianity was just a memorial to an ancient teacher, I wouldn't bother with it. If it was even belief in a God but one sort of over there that we can never encounter, I'd have never sniffed at it. But being a Christ follower means an actual relationship with the living God. The one who I can meet with. When that's the case, you've got my attention. Easter Sunday is about an empty grave because Jesus is not dead anymore but alive and at work. Easter Sunday is about a God who loved us to death and doesn't want to leave us there, but wants a new life with us. Easter Sunday is the reason that Paul, the church's greatest enemy in those early years, maybe ever, could meet with that man from Nazareth that they had executed on a cross, could encounter him and realise that he is God the Son, actually and then give his life following him and serving him. What Easter, men Sunday, what Easter Sunday means for us is that we can encounter, can meet the God who loved us into being and loved us too much to leave us in our rebellion, but even whilst we were far off from him.
he sorted it out for us at great cost to himself. And he reaches out to us even now, offering a real relationship with him that changes everything. I mentioned apologetics earlier, and I like reading evidence for the Bible's history. I find it interesting. But I don't want to know about Jesus anywhere near as much as I want to know Jesus personally. That's why I think it's so important that Paul told his story rather than try and argue this crowd towards God. He's saying, I met him. And if he's real, if he's there, then you try meeting him. Don't bother with my arguments. Give him a try. See for yourself. In our Sunday morning service last week, some of you joining us from home listened to Jesus in prayer during the service and sent in an email with what you thought he was saying, including details of pains on people's right-hand side of their body. Now, to be clear, these people weren't communicating with each other. They'd separately sensed that God was highlighting pains on people's right-hand sides. We had one in the head and one muscle pain. At the end of our service last week, we asked Jesus if that applied to anyone, if anyone was feeling pain there, would he heal them? We had three different people get in touch to say they had pains on their right-hand side. One in the hip, one in the shoulder, and one migraine. This happened in the last week. Jesus is healing people today. Those people sent us in messages of what happened. I'm going to read them for you just now, word for word. Here's the first one. Last Sunday, a word was given that God was making someone aware of pain on the right-hand side of the body. I'd been suffering for a couple of days with a sore right hip. I think it was a pulled muscle. I'd been using an ibuprofen gel to get relief and doing what I could to try to ease it. So as Jim prayed at the end of the service, I put my hand on the sore area and claimed God's healing for my hip. When I stood up, there was a huge improvement. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say the pain went from an 8 to a less than 1, with just a tiny awareness of a bit of stiffness in the hip. So, Jim said he would continue to pray for me, and I continued to pray too. By Monday morning, it was completely pain-free and no longer stiff at all. Here's the second. I woke up on Saturday with a really bad muscle pain in my right shoulder and neck, probably a result of bad posture sitting at my desk all day Friday and a new home workout attempt. <laughs> God bless you. All through Saturday, I was in considerable pain, unable to move my shoulder without hurting it more and with limited head movement. I didn't sleep well at all on Saturday, having trouble finding a comfortable position and waking up from the pain in the night. I wasn't really feeling any better on Sunday. While watching the live stream, I was aware of the pain in the background, not massively painful when it wasn't moving. During Morag's prayer, after the sermon, and before Jim read out the words and pictures, I prayed for my shoulder. I felt the pain decrease slightly, but I thought that could have just been a placebo. Then, Jim read out the words, and two people had mentioned pain on the right-hand side, specifically muscle pain. I gave it a go, and prayed again, and this time... As soon as I stopped praying, the pain went away. And even when moving it around as much as I could, the pain was completely gone and has not returned. I love it. Here's the third one. So I get chronic migraines, and the new medication I was given stopped working a couple of weeks ago. The migraines happen exclusively on the right side of my head and behind my eye. And I had had one since the beginning of the service that morning, which I was not enjoying. Rude. 
After the message on Sunday, when Jim was going through the words and the pictures people had got, he mentioned something to do with the right side of someone's head. And the moment he said headache, my migraine disappeared completely. In conclusion, yea Jesus, praise the Lord, such a good time. Amen. Amen. If Jesus had never been raised from the dead, then his claim to be God would be hollow, meaningless, and powerless. With Jesus raised from the dead, people hear from him impossible knowledge, and people are healed praying to him. What God did for us on Easter Sunday is worth celebrating. Back with Paul in our passage for today, in verse 13. A Christian called Ananias miraculously heals Paul's sight in Jesus' power, instantly restoring his vision. Ananias tells Paul, God revealed himself to you this way because your job will be to reveal him to everyone. Just a note on this. You may not get the blinding light and the booming voice. Not many of us do, but that's not the only way that God speaks and meets with people. If you ask him to meet with you and wait for him, See what he has for you. In verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptised. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. That's verse 16. And you know, one of the things that I usually love about Easter at Kingdom Vineyard is that we usually have some baptisms following the service, where people who are giving their lives to Jesus are baptised in the North Sea in Fife. I love those services, and if you've ever been with us for one of them, you'll have seen the sheer joy on the faces of those getting baptised. I think it's joy. Obviously, sadly, we're not able to do that this year. But, but, that baptism isn't the moment when God meets someone. That is a person marking God's change in their life with a visible declaration. That's the earthly signpost that points to the heavenly reality, the meeting with God, and, well, that can happen any time. Many times in the Bible, the early church had an experience of being baptised in the Holy Spirit, the presence of God showing up in a tangible, sometimes overwhelming way. And that's something you can ask for, even locked in your house. In fact, many times in the Bible, it's exactly where they were. Asking God to meet with you, to spend time with him, deciding to invite him into your life, to become not just God, but your God, to ask him to become the Lord of your life, that can happen anytime. In fact, as Ananias said to Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So, what about it? Have you had an encounter with God? Do you want to become his? Washing away your sins and calling on his name. We can do the baptism with water later, but you can call on his name and ask him to wash away your sins right now. Or maybe you've not yet had an encounter with Jesus. Well, now is the time to ask him. There's one last bit of the passage I want to draw your attention to. In verse 21, 
The controversy is that, is that the crowd could not get their heads around one key fact. God is for everyone. No matter how distant, now how unholy, no matter what sort of life we've lived, or even still living, this Jesus mission that God was on was God reaching to show you his love and put his arms around you and draw you back to him. The first writings of the church were full of the joyful declarations, once we were enemies of God, but now he has reconciled us. Once we were far off, but he reached out to us and redeemed us. Nobody, nobody is beyond God's loving reach and he wants you back. And just between you and him, if you don't have that relationship with God that I've been talking about, why not ask him to meet you even now? Why do you wait? Rise and be baptised and wash away your sins calling on his name. Easter Sunday is the centre of mankind's relationship with God. Without the resurrection, a little religious movement in ancient Jerusalem would have died out on a Friday. With Jesus' resurrection, God's relationship with his people is not just restored, not just renewed, but lives on forever. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, would you meet with us? Would you meet with us afresh and anew? Even now, even as we're sat around with screens doing church in a weird 2020 way, you're bigger than that. Would you meet with us? We invite you to come Holy Spirit of God, come bring your presence into each room. Would you be meeting people in their hearts and their minds just now, Lord? Would your spirit be resting on people in physical, tangible ways? Come, Lord. I ask you to increase what you're doing. Show people how much you love them. If you're watching um, and you're, you're with us digitally this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to pray particularly for you. If you'd like to know Jesus, maybe this is your opportunity. So I'm going to pray. And um, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to, pray along with me. Make this your own prayer. If you do know Jesus and you want to know him better, um, this isn't a bad prayer either. So let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for what you've done for me. 
Thank you for your rescue mission to me, even at the great cost of your son. Thank you for raising him to new life and offering that new life to me as well. Lord God, I accept your offer. I want that relationship with you and I turn away from all of the things that would pull me away from you. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. I turn away from the stuff that is a distraction and a destruction in my life and I want more of you, please God. Would you be my God, my Lord? And would you fill me, loving God, with your presence? I invite you to come, Holy Spirit, and fill me and wash over me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, especially for the first time, uh, we'd love to be in touch with you to say hi, to congratulate you on the best relationship decision you've ever made. And, uh, and to offer you the support of, of a church that will welcome you and love you. So get in touch with us uh, using Sunday at KingdomVineyard.com and we'll say hi. Right now, um, back to you, Rachel. <laughs>